Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to Call of Discovery, the podcast where we invite you on a journey into the crucible for a weekly or sometimes fortnightly celebration of all things Keyforge, its wonderful community, and of course, the excitement of Discovery. I am still somehow here as your co-host, nearly at the end of 2020 now, fortunately, Um, and I'm here joined by ever, uh, joined as ever by Zach Armstrong. Hey, Zach, how are you doing? Hey, Ed, uh, I am still here. Uh, I have not been, I have not been kicked out yet, so I'm going to see what damage I can do today. That's good. That's good. Okay. And today we are delighted to be joined by Nathan, um, aka Corathan, who is here to talk about the SAS rating system and his website, Decks of Keyforge. You might have heard of it if you play Keyforge. If you haven't heard of it, I don't know how you found this podcast. Nathan is a two-time Vault Tour winner and member of Team SAS of the luxurious playstyle, and he is the biggest reason our game has a secondary market. Nathan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We're looking forward to chatting with you. Hey, thanks for the welcome. All of our long-time listeners will know that before we dive into our focus topic, we do like to get to know our guests a little bit better. So, Nathan, how did you discover Keyforge? What drew you to it? And uh, what what really made it stick? Um, I guess, so I'm sort of one of those those funny Keyforge players where... Um, <clears throat> I'd, I'd heard about like, oh, there's like some new card game coming out. And I thought, oh, that sounds cool. But I didn't really know what it was about. But um, <clears throat> but I saw some news articles on like, oh, this new game came out. And there's all these horrible, you know, deck names about like Farmer of Racism, like She Who Headbutts Heaven or whatever. And I was like, oh, that's funny. And because they had all of that horrible PR, but, you know, uh, even bad PR is good PR. Um, I read up about the game. I was like, oh, that's really cool. And, you know, I'm a software developer. That's um, my my career. So mm-hmm. so it's also sort of a game that's really interesting, I think, just to software developers in general because of it being you know, algorithmically generated and and all of that stuff. So I actually came to the game by way of the, um, the horrible deck names that they have um, thankfully removed from the pool. Um, and, and, yeah, I like tried it out, you know, and thought, oh, this is, you know, pretty cool. Yeah, it seems like you were brought in uh, via some unintended consequences uh, enacted yeah. by other software engineers, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Um, yeah, I guess uh, happy bugs sometimes. 
Not very often. <laughs> yes, yes. I don't think anybody was too terribly upset uh, as far as Keyforge players go. But yeah, the, the corporate side mm-hmm. of things, they probably want to you know pull all those out of rotation as they did. Oh, yeah. So you've, you've spoken a bit about what drew you to it. So what do you enjoy the most about Keyforge? What aspect of it really stuck with you and said, hey, I want to stick with this and I actually want to build things for it? One of the things that I think is really cool about Keyforge that's different from um, from like other games is um, in most games like like Magic, you open a pack and likely all of those cards are trash. Like as soon as you open it, they're all trash. And um, maybe you get like a rare that's really good, or you get a couple of uncommons you'll use, and then there's a bunch of commons like you're going to have twenty copies of, no matter what. But then there's also like a bunch of cards that you just never even play or never even get involved so like a bunch of my first decks that i opened had cards in them like bad penny or key to darkness and key to darkness is such a horribly bad card that like it would never show up ever in any other card game that was ever made in but in keyforge it actually exists and actually exists in really good decks because an otherwise really good deck can just end up with this like you know really horrible card. So I think that like one thing that sort of is cool and interests me about Keyforge is that um <clears throat> you end up like playing having to know like all of the cards in the set and all of the cards in the set see play. And even like Key of Darkness, which is a horrible card, like I've seen some fun things with it. Like I was playing um at a local um uh, at some locals uh, back when those actually existed and um I, I loaned one of my decks to this guy who had never played and he wanted to play. And so he was playing against this other guy um, with my deck. And I'm watching him play my deck and he draws Key of Darkness. And he held Key of Darkness for like five turns because he's oh, like, wow. oh, this is a key cheat that's going to help me win. It's like, oh, it was so like, it was so painful. But at the end of the game, he actually like, like right before his opponent forged in one, he stole 12 Amber and forged his third key with key of darkness. It was, wow. It was hilarious. Ooh, wow. <laughs> like watching that game, but it was sort of like a, an example of like, you know, you play with all of the cards in key forge and, and sometimes all of them can do something. <laughs> Maybe yeah. not Gromit. <laughs> everything but <laughs> maybe not we're gonna get a very uh, angry email from vampire polite talk uh, after <laughs> after that comment but um <laughs> that that is such a lovely story that i think uh really shows off why so many of us uh, like you talked about love keyforge because this new player and even more and more experienced player like us might go oh don't hold key of darkness just just play <laughs> it for the amber and get it over with but he held it as a key cheat had a great turn and it ended up being his out. And I, I feel like Richard Garfield was smiling through his Keyforge Palantir, you know, at that, at that play. Right. Um, mm-hmm. that feels very much in, in the heart of the game that he tried to infuse it with in the, in the initial design. So that's, that's lovely. I love that. Yeah. <clears throat> and let's see, I know you've been able to make it out to several, uh, vault tours, Nathan. And, uh, I believe that the two that uh, you have uh, managed to take home uh, were sealed vault tours. Yes. Uh, not the first one. The second not one. Not the first one. Oh, yeah. lovely. Oh, so uh, uh, an Archon and a Sealed Vault Tour under mm-hmm. your belt. Uh, and with those two uh, Vault Tours that you've won, what uh, what were some of the, the great memories from there? Maybe like around the winning mm-hmm. or a great finals match or just some of the people you got to connect with at these, at these Vault Tours? Yeah. Um, so the first one was a Denver Survival Vault Tour, which was um, a lot of fun. I... 
I was, I had um, Galaxy, which is a deck you may have heard about. That was my, my day one deck. And that was back when lands was still a thing. So it was sort of like a funny lands deck back in the day because I had no key cheat, but it did have like phase shift and a control the week. So you could actually just lock them out of ever doing anything ever again with its lands. You just couldn't key cheat to the win in a single turn. Um, so, so that deck carried me through day one, um, you know, you know, just fine. Uh, although we did have one of those unfortunate, oh, and now we both have to concede because we don't want to play this deck for day two um, for mm. the sixth one. But, yeah. you know. That's how it goes. Um, and and day two, I got to play the deck that I really wanted to play, which was, um, it was actually a deck that had been up on Decks of Keyforge for like a long time, but it was at like $300, and I guess no one wanted it at that price, and I offered like a little bit less, I got it for a little bit less, and it was a, um, <clears throat> a Bahamut Alplarisa. So it's like a three time, three control of the week, like Shadows with um, Bait and Switch. Again, you know, Bait and Switch was also good back in those days, uh, more so than it is now. It's still good. Um, and uh, phase shift. So it was a real, like, and also had, like, a rise and, like, a great disc set of creatures. So so I spent a lot of time, um, you know, controlling people, which is kind of my style of play. I actually enjoy sort of sucking the joy out of other people's uh, Keyforge games more than I enjoy doing cool things myself <laughs> when I play it. Uh, a a so, Keyforge emotional vampire, it sounds like. Yes. Yeah, no one... I I am a, I have to admit I'm like control the week person all the, all day long. Oh well, um, very nice. So so yeah, I played that deck. I actually there were um there was one game um I forget if it was like the semifinals or the quarterfinals, but there was one game that was especially memorable to me because um <clears throat> my deck had Overlord Grecking and. Ember Imp. They had like two Ember Imps. And I was playing against a lands deck. So it's like, oh man, like I really need to like get this under control like quickly and slow him down enough or I'm just gonna straight up lose this thing because he's gonna go off and then I'll lose. Um, <clears throat> so I was trying to rush, but I hap- like I happened into this scenario where um, let's see, he played a speed sigil and um, <clears throat> He also had a shadow self on the board and I had an Ember Imp out. So um, I take my turn. I attack shadow self with Ember Imp. I play Lord Grecking speed sigil attack shadow self with Lord Grecking. And then I shadow self my Ember Imp with his shadow self. And the game was pretty much over because wow. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that was um, so that was one of the more fun, fun moments, uh, a big turn in one of the games I played. I also, I don't know if, like, I also, if you want to, like, look at the uh, video for the finals of that um, uh, tournament, you can watch the worst possible um, uh, Relentless Whispers choice to lose me game one. Also a fun moment from that tournament. (laughs) Or I played the Relentless Whispers horribly and lost myself again, to be clear. Sure, sure. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I think I think anybody who has played on camera for more than one game will have at least one of those uh, on the permanent record somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... yeah, there's definitely an on-camera jinx, isn't there, where the pressure the pressure is a, is is a factor. Yeah, I um 
I I don't know. I just wasn't thinking. I relentless whispered like some worthless creature of his that I didn't even kill when I could have relentless whispered my own guys to steal enough amber to just straight win. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, there there yeah. have been a few of those moments, uh, famous mm-hmm. and just very good players saying, "Well, I have to do it to my opponent's side of the board. I can't do it to mine." And oh wait, no, I can do it to mine. And now it's too late. Yep. All my yeah. practice games, I would have done it to my own guys, but not that game. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure, sure. And uh, with the with the sealed vault tour, do you have a particularly mm-hmm. particular affinity for the deck that took you to the top of that one, which was uh, Indianapolis, if my notes are correct? Yeah. So that deck was um, o- Olivier, and that was actually like a sort of int- like one of the first um, <clears throat> Worlds Clyde sealed tournaments. Yeah, I opened like like. I almost didn't even pick that deck. Like that's how like much that's <laughs> that's how great the decks I opened were. I also opened like a really cool like Star Shadows, I forget, like Logos or something, but that one had a problem because it had like six upgrades, like two creatures in Star Alliance, and I was like, hmm, this could be uh, end up with some bad like um first draws. So yeah, I <clears throat> I got a deck that's like just a sort of I call them like board vomits. It, it just spams the board with tons of um, threatening creatures and then does sort of crazy shenanigans after that. Um, it's it's a fun deck. It's interesting because like I played, I forget, I think I played like eight or 10. No, I think I played 10 games at the sealed tournament with that deck and I won all of them. And, you know, I had some that were like kind of close um, most of them, it did pretty well just because it's a really fast, good deck. But, um, but I realized like after the tournament and then practicing it online, like it took me another 20 games before I actually figured out really how to play the deck because it's got some really interesting, um, strategies to it. I won the vault tour off of, um, a, oh shoot, what's that card called? It's a Saurian one where if you have it's like victory, whatever. Or if you have six triumph. Cre- yeah, triumph. So yeah. six creatures on your side, zero creatures on their forge a key, um, and exalt all your creatures. So I won it. I won the tournament off of triumph. But it wasn't until I played it online like twenty more times I realized, oh, this deck should try really hard to get its triumph off because it has axiom and it has um, phalanx strike, mm-hmm. um, and so it has a lot of tools uh, to get the opponent off the board from Saurian and it has like tons of archiving and speed. So, so yeah, it's interesting. Like, um, it's, it's a fun deck. It has like double Chan and his blaster, which, um, you know, who knows if that's still cool. Uh, but it was cool (laughs) at least. Um, Sure. Sure. Yeah. So that was, that was a fun tournament, fun deck. Um, very cool. Um, and uh, I'm going to ask for a little bit of advice here because you have you have some other tournament experience. I don't. Uh, what are your best tips? Uh, what are your best tips for getting better at Warhammer miniatures? I heard uh, I heard you did pretty well there too. Uh, World of Warcraft miniatures. Oh, World of Warcraft miniatures. Excuse me. I uh, I either wrote that down wrong or it was wrong somewhere else. <laughs> so so I could give you tips on that, but I'm not sure if it would be the most valuable advice. <laughs> Given the game has been dead for at least like half a decade, I think more. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's been dead for almost a decade by now. 
Nathan, it's never dead as long as it lives on in someone's I know, heart. I, I have I have a box or two full of World of Warcraft miniatures because I played in so many tournaments of that game and won so many miniatures. <laughs> I have like three copies of every mini that ever existed. And I will be training my kids in how to play that game with no you know further daylight for it in the world. But <laughs> mm. It's like it's like keeping a dead language alive, keeping a dead game alive mm-hmm. in the family. It's like, oh, yeah. what games do you play? This or this? <laughs> no, we play World of Warcraft miniatures. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we are the keeper. We are the keepers of the flame. <laughs> it's really important that you learn this obscure language. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, you know I mean, I was a. I took Latin in college. Like that's my style. Ah, <laughs> oh, I love it. Nice. So is Keyforge Latin then <laughs> to, to Magic the Gathering's English? <laughs> I, I sure hope it isn't because I was actually pretty bad at Latin. Like, <laughs> it wasn't the language for me. I just took it because I love poetry. And if you understand Latin, you understand English grammar better for writing like mm. complex poetry. Um, ah. I won't share any of my poems, though. Um, <laughs> they're, they're No. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll save we'll save that for uh, another another topical for another the topical second episode. episode. Right? Yeah, um, but uh, World of Warcraft um. Miniatures was a really cool game. Um, I en- I enjoyed a lot. It was like it was weirdly strategic. Like it had you rolled dice all the time in that game, but it was very very low like randomness because you just rolled so many dice for all of your attacks and. Winning the game was based so much on the like little victory points and movement and turn manipulation because it had this interesting turn system where like you increment turns up on your minis to use actions, but then you get victory points for staying on like places like it was supposed to be mimicking World of Warcraft with like sure. um, King of the Hill like uh, Arathi Basin type um, type games. So, so so yeah, it was it was a really cool game. It was really um, strategic and and fun in the day. I have some horribly painful stories about that game. Um, it's funny. Like I I actually had a really so like tangent. I had a really similar experience to um in my Denver Vault Tour win as I did in a Dark Moon Fair, which is like the Vault Tour equivalent for this game, where like I was just like like beating myself up and horribly disappointed in myself after I won a tournament because like the relentless whispers play, like after I learned about that, I was just like devastated. Like this is horrible. Like I should have won it in two games. Like I shouldn't have had to take three games. And, um, I had this like other horrible mistake where like at, I was playing this game, um, world of Warcraft miniatures and they like <clears throat> told us, um, oh, like, there's two turns left until the game's over um, because it was, you know, a timed match. And we were both like, oh, like, no big deal. It's going to be over before then. Well, it wasn't quite over before then. So I, I like, calculated out. I'm like, okay, I don't need to make any more moves. I've won the game because the game is over after this turn. But then it turned out that I was, like, actually a little confused. And I, even though I'd repeatedly said, okay, the game's over after this turn, everyone who was watching knew that there was one more turn, but they didn't tell me. <laughs> And and then so I end my turn after not even moving my miniatures or scoring as many points as I could. And then they're like, oh, no, there's one. I just go shake the guy's hand. And he's like, no, no, there's one more turn. I'm like, what? So then he had like a chance to win the tournament. He had to like roll the dice to attack one of my characters. And if he destroyed it, he just won. And if he didn't, 
um, than I won. And he had like a 70% chance of winning at that point, but he flubbed the role and I won. And I called my wife and I was just like, like telling her, oh, this was like horrible. It was so like annoying. Like I sh- like should have known this thing, I guess, but no one told me. And like, it was so horrible. And I spent like five minutes complaining about how horrible it was. Um, and I was like, yeah. And then I won. And she was like, what <laughs> you won? <laughs> like, why didn't you lead with that? <laughs> Nathan, if, if, uh, even um, if I don't remember anything about the miniatures game for that story, I have learned that you are your own overbearing coach, uh, yeah. from that story. <laughs> Cause that's something you could see a coach saying that was a victory, but a hollow one when, you know, as, uh, and when your wife's like, could you have led with the fact you, you won please that you yeah, I, <laughs> actually I took do my- that down? So I guess that's uh, to, to like, I think you asked at some point for like advice for new players. I probably forgot all about that, but that is the advice for new players that I would give is like, try not to care. Like if you lose, it doesn't matter if you lose, like what matters is if you played the best you could have played, like whether you won or lost, like every time I win and every time I lose, like it, I, I don't actually care. Like if I win or lose so much as if I played the best I could play and analyzing as hard as I can to try to get better. Like if you win like 70% of your games, but you don't try to analyze your wins and get better, you're sacrificing like 75% of your time, like not even improving. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's a very good point. I certainly have that tendency, not analyzing my wins. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, good advice. Maybe uh, maybe sweaty Zach will have to uh, take you out for a training session sometime, Ed. <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, well, I, yeah. I mean, who am I to say no? Um, <laughs> step, one, step one: swim across the Atlantic to me, and we'll, we'll get started yeah. from there. <laughs> I think that's probably the easy bit, to be honest. Um, what Nathan's accomplished is is much harder. Um, so, yeah, but we'll start with a, a little swim. How hard can it be? <laughs> So uh, while Ed is getting in his uh, swimming trunks and taking the plunge, uh, it'll take him a few hours at least to get over here. Uh, we'll move on to our topic for today, which is, of course, decksofkeyforge.com. You know, what is it? What is it for? How did it come about? What is SAS? And how are they related? SAS being the rating system uh, for decks, which uh, grows over time. And I suspect that these two items are related on a very deep level. And who better to ask about that uh, than Nathan? Now, but before we get going, I have to ask a question that I honestly don't know the answer to that I was surprised I didn't know the answer to and I couldn't quite find it before this episode. But Nathan... What does SAS stand for? It stands for <clears throat> synergy and anti-synergy. Um, there's synergies ah. and anti-synergies. Okay, perfect. Now, now I know. I, I, my brain has grown three sizes this day. <laughs> yeah, I think it's somewhere. It's hidden somewhere on like the uh, about pages of decks of Keyforge, but you would probably have to um, bring out your magnifying glass or something. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, yeah, that's great. That's great. So for uh, the, the very basis of it, if for the decks of Keyforge, uh, if you haven't gone there, which I'd be surprised if you haven't, if you're listening to call of discovery and you don't know what this is, make sure you go there and, and click around. And so Nathan, uh, what is decks of and what is SAS and how, how are they, how are they intertwined? So, so decks of Keyforge um, is a collection manager for Keyforge. Um, it also lets you list decks for sale. I mean, I have 
personally, you know, most of my decks that I didn't get in like uh, fancy new boxes, I've bought secondhand through the website itself. Um, and it also has, you know, a few other features. You know, there's cards, cards um, that you can, you know, search the cards and users. You can search other users on, on decks of Keyforge. And SAS is the rating system that's um, built into the site and attempts, it, it does its its best to um, rate the the quality of the um, all of the Keyforge decks that exist. The um, website continually um, <clears throat> checks Master Vault and imports all new decks that are added to um, Master Vault. Um, I suppose it, it doesn't rate you know decks that don't exist in Master Vault, so I guess not technically all Keyforge decks, but um, all of them that can. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, uh, SAS uh, rates all decks, tries to um, determine both the inherent sort of value of cards um, in general, as well as um, how the cards in a deck interact together and, um, you know, how those synergies and anti-synergies make a deck better and worse. Fantastic. Fantastic. And I have to say, uh, uh, every once in a while when I'm uh, feeling a bit masochistic, I do go to eBay and I just <laughs> try to read and see why is this deck $50 when they've put, you know, three X stampede in all caps. Does that really make this deck worth $50? Um, but it is it is much easier uh, by far to go onto Decks of Keyforge and use the robust search parameters to look for what you want, you know, and for sale. So, um, as we've mentioned before, uh, it's just so much of the secondary market happens through here. A lot of great Keyforge players who have plenty of decks and good eyes for them will post decks for sale on Decks of Keyforge and and get them sold there. And it's just such a nice tool for that. Um, and SAS, of course, just such a great uh, starting point for, you know, looking at where a deck may uh, may sit with its its power curve. So with I, I assume these two are fairly deeply related in their origin story. So how uh, what what was the need you were responding to when you when you decided to go ahead and make these two this this system and this website? I was um, trying to find better Keyforge decks because like I'd opened my Keyforge decks like I'd bought, I don't know, 10 or something. And like, they all were pretty good, but it's like, well, I want better ones. So, so I went on to Cool Stuff Inc. back when they had Keyforge decks. And I, I don't know how late I stayed up. I think I started at like 11 p.m. I stared at tiny little deck list pictures until like 3 a.m. and like just destroyed my eyes for three hours in the middle of the night or something. And I was like, this is so miserable and horrible. Like, like I should probably just make this better. Um, and, and at the time, um, uh, KFC, uh, Keyforge compendium existed. Like I used to enjoy that site. Um, you know, it was a great site while I was around. And, um, and there was also like a system, uh, ADHD, which, um, you know, people knew of through Reddit and it was also integrated into Keyforge Compendium. So there were like, there was, you know, a collection manager and sort of a rating system out there. But, um, you know, having, having looked at those, like there were no decks for sale on Keyforge Compendium. So I felt that that was like a huge thing that was sort of missing. Um, and something that I wanted to improve for my own sake, because I didn't want to stare at cool decks on cool stuff Inc any longer. Um, and, and also like ADHD was, I think a great, um, starting place for, a system for Keyforge, but as a player, like looking at it, it had a lot of sort of inconsistencies, inconsistencies and things that didn't make sense to me personally. So um, I forget when it was. It was like November of the year that Keyforge was released. So I think like a 
couple or a few months after it released, I started working on decks of Keyforge um, and and also like, okay, well, let's also make a rating system. And like, I thought, oh, like, let's do like synergies and anti-synergies because that's sort of like the key thing about Keyforge is like how the cards you randomly get work together. Sure, and, um, sure. and yeah, I was spending, uh, I don't know, like I was working, I probably wasn't working 40 hours a week. I was probably working like 30 hours a week, but you know, I was working um, a job that wasn't uh, building decks Keyforge. And uh, I was also spending like 20 or 30 hours a week for a couple months, just like building decks of Keyforge and SAS. And I remember like, one day I spent, I was like, okay, um, Camille, who's my wife, I'm going to spend like all this day just uh, putting numbers on cards. So uh, sorry, I'm not going to exist. <laughs> and, uh, right. and I spent all day like putting numbers on cards, like rating synergies and stuff, because I built like the structure of how the system uh, gave deck scores, but I hadn't rated actual cards as yet. And um and it was miserable. Like as I was, the only thing that carried me through that day was thinking, "This is so miserable. No one else will ever do this to themselves." And um, and hopefully that means my site can be successful. <laughs> <laughs> wow! That uh, what what a metric! What a metric! But yeah, but you need uh, to go through those hard times, right? To uh, to come through the other side, and uh, yeah, when you realized what you what you created was it instantly thinking yeah i know how i'm going to implement this or um you, you mentioned earlier you're a software engineer or or mm-hmm. was it uh, a process um well as a software engineer i have been thoroughly trained in um what's called the agile process so so i mean in general i like to sort of um just have an idea of sort of vague idea of, okay, okay, like this is what I want. These are the different features I want. And then I just start incrementing. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do useful things. I'm going to do things that I know I need. And I'm going to like discover as I work on it, I sort of, I guess, dovetails with uh, this whole podcast. Um, well, I like to discover what I need as I do it. So, um, so I just, I just sort of like built the minimum like viable thing. And as I went, I sort of figured out, oh, like this would also work. And I tried not to you know, waste time doing things that I wouldn't necessarily want in the future. Yeah, that sounds uh, like a, a good process to keep iterating and, and keep building. And uh, I have to say, it's uh, just all the categories you've picked uh, just end up just so helpful to see, you know, oh, I love key cheats, or I think they're very important in the meta. So does this deck have a key cheat card? You know, the counts of all the different uh, card types out of the four card types, what what are, uh, how are those present? Um, the expected Amber count, I think, is a, mm-hmm. uh, is a lovely tool because you can look at pips, uh, but I've got a deck up right now that has, mm-hmm. you know, just 10 pips, but the expected Amber is uh, 24 because if mm-hmm. this, you know, if this card's in your deck and you played it or get a get a use out of it then then hey like you're probably gonna get more than just that amber pip uh present on that other card as you get through that deck all all once yeah it expected amber is a little bit funny to me in some ways because when it was just like coded in aoa i never i honestly never looked at it that much personally um because it felt like like every deck like had like stealing and you know amber on cards and like that's just how decks worked but I almost feel like that stat has become more meaningful and more interesting to look at with new sets like mass mutation decks. Like sometimes you just don't, or world's Clyde, sometimes you don't actually have much or any stealing and it, and it may have like 
you know, 15 pips still, but it actually only generates like 15 amber on a cycle through, unlike Coda and different ones where it seems to have like more amber generation just usually. Um, yeah, so the, the different categories <clears throat> in SAS, like originally, originally ARC, so like the, it's like a distinction between like two sort of systems. Like SAS is like the general score, and then ARC is all of the sub-scores that SAS is composed of. So it's, you know, the different categories of scores the deck is split into, and it stands for like um, <clears throat> Amber Control, Expected Amber, Artifact Control, and Creature Control, because those were the four original stats. There were only four to begin with. Um, but over time, and like a ton of this is like, not just like me thinking like, oh, there'd be this, this would be a cool stat. Like let's add like effective power. Like I've had a ton of help from um, both people on team SAS and also just the community in general, like, um, like uh, uh, Z, um, you know, member of team SAS, uh, Jupiter, who, you know, does a lot of podcasts, tons of cool things, runs KFPL in the community. Um, they've suggested things like I, I could try to list out more people, but I'm going to just like miss people anyway. So like a ton of people in the community have contributed ideas for like oh like this would be another really cool like category or like originally when I introduced like efficiency it had disruption which is preventing your opponent from playing cards and efficiency which is playing more cards yourself um wrapped up into the same stat and people are like it, it would be useful to know the difference between having a control of the week and a lab work um <clears throat> so so sure, like, over time sure. it has um improved and um and changed like uh and yeah you know, uh, a ton of that's due to um, community feedback. Um, if anyone wants to provide feedback, you can um, join uh, the Dex of Keyforge Discord. There's links um, all over Dex of Keyforge website, like the About page, the Contact Me page, and the About pages has um, a link to the Discord. And I take feedback constantly, like I, every day. <laughs> there's feedback on um, how to continue improving uh, SAS and the ratings for cards and stuff. And uh, I think we, we've we've mentioned it briefly so far, but the secondary community, the second secondary market for Keyforge, literally would struggle to exist, or would exist in a very very different form without the existence of SAS and decks of Keyforge. Has it surprised you how much people rely on SAS as a kind of benchmark? for evaluating decks both in their own collection and of, of things that they might potentially want to purchase? It doesn't surprise me per se, but like it occasionally it dismays me a little bit, like how much um, prices are, for example, tied to SAS. Like I will look at decks that I own or decks that I just like, you know, open and, and I'll think like, oh, like I can put a sort of dollar value on the SAS score, which, which is, you know, too bad to an extent that like people actually pay for SAS because SAS, like SAS is a guess at what, how good a deck is, but it doesn't literally do anything for the deck. Um, so yeah, like I, I definitely try to like analyze every, every deck that I see because not every deck is not every like. I don't know, 80 SAS deck is, um, is the same, obviously. Um, you know, I like to, I like to sort of think about it in bands though. Like I actually do use SAS a lot and I think it's very useful because like personally, like I usually, I try to buy like Uber top level decks and, you know, I'm willing to spend like $500 on a deck if it's going, if I think this deck can win me a vault tour. 
Um, and, and so, yeah, like I sort of use SAS as a way of like filtering out like what decks I actually want to spend the brain energy to look at because there's so many decks like in existence and so many decks listed for sale. I can't, I certainly can't look at all of them. So I try to use it as a, as a tool to like sort of help me look at just the ones that are relevant to me. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. And people really, really do, do focus in on, on SAS, but at the same time, knowing, knowing that it is, is a score. So I suppose, what would you, what would you say to people about SAS? How would you, I suppose, advise the average Keyforge player to think about SAS? Yeah. I mean, I guess, so I use it as, as a guide, like, let's say that you have a hundred decks and let's say that it takes, I don't know, like five or 10 games to actually get in, accustomed enough to a deck to, um, to understand how good it is. Because like, you can look at a deck and analyze it pretty well, but you can only get, I don't know, like 50% of the way there, like just looking at it and looking at like the SAS score and these things. And you really need to play it to like achieve that higher understanding of, of any deck. Um, so like if you have a hundred decks and you need to play 10 games with each, that's a thousand games. Like it's not practical for most people to spend a thousand games figuring out those hundred decks. So I think it's useful as a guide. Like, let's say that you have enough time to, I could play like a hundred games, figuring out which of my hundred decks is the best before I'm like investing time in like, you know, really becoming an expert in my quote unquote best deck. Like, okay, so maybe that means you should really look at like, Look at your top 20, you know, SAS decks, fit, decide just based on looking like which 10 you think are the best. Maybe it's like the 10 top SAS ones. Maybe it's like, I don't know, five of those and five of the other ones. Um, and then uh, play those decks until you know which one is best. So I think it's useful as a way to sort of filter out, well, you know, there's po it's possible that there's some like hidden gem like in the lower SAS decks you have. And it's also worth looking just to see like, Oh, is one of these decks like the deck with um, a Q mech that has four draw enhancements on it? Because maybe I should try that one too. Um, SAS will not properly rate that deck at all. Um, so, so yeah, I, I like to use it as a guide. Like it's it's a time saver to you know learn your deck to help you learn your decks as well as possible with the time you have. Yeah, uh, yeah, and we were speaking a little bit before we we started the podcast about SAS cap tournaments, which have certainly rose <laughs> rose to prominence in COVID land, which we live in currently. Um, so, <laughs> how how does how for our listeners how does how does it feel to have SAS cap tournaments, and uh, does it benefit you, or or does it put your opponent at the at an advantage? Um, so I am, I am really, I'm really like glad and thankful that, you know, people have, uh, found SAS really helpful for these SAS cap tournaments. I mean, I think it's great that people can get like, there's, there's like a funny art, I think, to like finding the like hidden gym decks that are like, you know, that overperform their SAS rating. And so I think it's really cool that SAS gets used in that way. Like me personally, like it's, it's a little bit like, uh, frustrating and just i mean I don't know, it's it's not my favorite tournament archetype because like i make the sas rating so it's hard for me to find decks that are underrated by sas because if i found a deck 
that was super underrated by SAS, I would just fix the darn thing. Like that's why <laughs> that's why like Jenka decks are rated higher than they used to be. That's why Brig decks are rated higher than they used to be. Like, when I fixed Brig, I actually originally like way over <laughs> did it. Like there was one guy who's like a really big fan of Brig that I know. And uh, like when I changed the ratings for um, a binate rupture plus interdimensional graft, if you don't know, um, for Brig originally, like he PM'd me and was like, thanks, you just upped the scores of all my decks by like 15 points. I'm like, oh, maybe I overdid that a little bit. <laughs> so, so I went back and like fixed that. But like I try to fix all of the problems that I find that are, you know, reasonable to fix. Like there's definite like constraints on the system. If you have if you have the perfect double epic quest deck, like I will not be rating your deck perfectly. <laughs> like don't even like <laughs> it's not gonna happen. But um, <clears throat> well, in in that case, I should probably put aside my prepared speech to you about rating double Tesmal rocket boots decks a little bit higher. I'm just gonna, oh, I'm just gonna go ahead and toss that in the burner bin here. I but. I had a horrible game. <laughs> I I had a horrible game recently where my opponent was playing a Brig deck. It just happened to have like t- double Tesmal too, and I practiced that game like way more than I should have wasted my time doing. I just wanted to win the game, you know. So I practiced the game a bunch, and then like. Turn one, he lays down double Tesmal, Yurk, and discards something and plays another discard. And so I followed up. I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll play like my Logos creatures. I have like a few of them or whatever. And the next turn, he like collars my Brain Eater and it's game over. And, and he held the collar. <laughs> like, ah. Wow. Game was just over wow. in two turns. My goodness, that's rough. That's rough. Um, so uh, aside from uh, aside from uh, yeah. rough games or people PMing you, thanking you for their vast collection rating improvement, mm-hmm. uh, what does what does the process look like when you do make updates to SAS? Yeah, it used to be super miserable because I actually used to have just this like file that I would like update, and it wasn't. I don't know. It wasn't like type safe at all. Fortunately, I've improved my own tools. So it's like, to be honest, how SAS gets updated is um, I blearily open my eyes in the morning and before I can like roll out of bed and start like trying to make sure the kids are like doing their homework and getting to classes on time because that's just my life all the time now. Um, I like look at the, I don't know, uh, 20 different messages that have happened in discord about people like theorizing how to improve SAS while I was asleep. And, um, I read those and someone's like, Oh, like this card's underrated. And, um, I go into a Dex of Keyforge with my special, um, admin tools and I change the card ratings. And then, um, you know, when the month flips over, I, uh, release a new set of card ratings. I've just sort of like gradually built over time from like receiving feedback and you know deciding like whether or not to implement said feedback. Sure, sure. And I, I think taking uh, feedback and thoughts from you know a wide variety of people in that Discord, a lot of very good Keyforge brains, and then saying, all right, which which you know as the gatekeeper, which do I implement, which do I <laughs> I release? Um, that mm-hmm. sounds like a, a pretty good system. And um, I know generally for my decks, it is, uh, you know, if, if, if there are SAS naysayers out there, uh, I do have a harder time finding an underrated deck than, than they might think. Um, even, even my best mass mutation deck is pretty much properly rated towards the, the top of my collection. Um, 
based on on how it plays and the synergies. So so it is certainly a great starting point. All right. Uh, well, we would be remiss in discussing DexOfKeyForge.com and SAS uh, without diving a little bit into a part of what helps it run. I know there are quite a few very lovely features uh, that are, are pretty much uh, uh, Patreon exclusive. So what uh, I know some of them off the top of my head, they're very cool. But uh, Nathan, what are some of the cool things that people do get with DexOfKeyForge uh, if they're supporting on Patreon? Yeah, so there's um, there's a few different tiers with um, different you know cool benefits in them. There's a three dollar per month, a six dollar per month, and a twelve dollar per month um, tier. Those are sort of aimed at different um, like classes of users almost. Um, the three dollar one is you know sort of a you know casual player that really enjoys KeyForge but isn't like you know trying to buy all of the best decks that exist. The six dollar one. Um, I guess I'll, I'll say some of the benefits on the $3 one. So, so that has features like, um, you know, dark mode. You can analyze your decks to see sort of like, oh, like what cards am I missing out of my set? Or like what house combinations do I have, you know, and the counts for those. Um, and it just has some like quality of life improvements too, um, like listing decks for sale for longer or um, being able to create auctions and offers. Um, you can be a part of a team and search team decks. Um you can see the scores of imaginary decks. You can um, create theoretical decks. Um, so, so that's sort of targeted at that class of user. There's also a $6 one that's um, more targeted towards like power buyers. Um, and that one, you can the big feature there is you can make um, deck sale notifications. Like this is like, if there's any feature on decks of Keyforge, that if you want to be a better Keyforge player and buyer, I think this is the one. Because... Um, you can set up notifications where, like, let's say you're like, oh, I really like really fancy, like, Humec decks or, or something. Or, like, I like autoencoder decks with, like, punctuated equilibrium. Um, you can set up <clears throat> search notifications where you set up a search that's like, okay, decks with punctuated equilibrium and autoencoder. And um, I want the SAS to be at least, like, 70. And then um, the system will email you every time someone lists for sale. Um, a deck with whatever search you create. So, so that's really useful for um, not having to constantly like go and search the site and also being the first to know about um, great decks that are listed for sale. The, um, the next tier, like probably um, most people who would want this tier sort of figure it out on their own because they're probably a power user anyway, but it's the, um, the tier, the $12 a month is more for people who sell decks. So that gets you like a little card on the landing page and um, gets you some like cool like store stuff. You can put like a little store icon and like banner and stuff um so that's sort of the the most relevant tiers of the site awesome it sounds like uh there are quite a few things with this decks of keyboard certainly being a, a a busy hub for buying and selling decks if that is you and i think especially uh during this particular time without real life events happening uh prices um nate actually I actually have Nathan right here. I could ask him this. Do prices are prices looking a little bit lower on good decks right now because of the the pandemic? Um, yes, I, I will divulge my secret buying and selling um, uh, tendencies. I do think that um, it's good to try to well, um, regardless of the pandemic, even like I do try to like um, buy decks during sort of the lulls between sets, and then like mm. you know. Prices usually go up when there's all the excitement over, ooh, a new set. Like, 
people want to sell decks so they have money to buy decks from the new set. They want to, you know, there's there's definitely sort of like um, waxens and and wanes and a sort of like cyclical nature to the prices of decks a little bit. Wow. Good to know. Good to know. Uh, Keyforge isn't big enough for a dedicated finance podcast yet, but uh, yeah. maybe, maybe someone will hear that and get and get inspired to dive in. There's a good bit of wisdom there, a good bit of wisdom. Thank you so much, Nathan, for coming on. And uh, hopefully you'll be joining us next week for our deck discovery episode as well. Um, Nathan, where can people find you? Um, Discord is the easiest way to uh, get a hold of me. I check that all the time. Um, so there's, um, there's, an, you can also email me. Um, if you go to the about page and then the contact me on Dex of Keyforge, um, it lists, you know, information for using those methods of getting in contact. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And. Uh- If you're enjoying Call of Discovery and you are willing and able to support us in a monetary fashion, our Patreon is linked below where you can put your own weird and wonderful decks into the spotlight and have your say in our future through our Patreon-only Discord. Let us also know, of course, what you'd like to see more or less of in future shows. And please subscribe and leave a review on your regular podcast app. Make it as strange and as enlightening as you can think of. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or you can email us at podcast at callofdiscovery.com. But most importantly, if you think a friend would enjoy this podcast, please help them to discover it. Have you answered the call of discovery? 